it was the hardest thing on one level because I was so cynical about the whole process. It was the most amazing thing because actually what came out of it was astonishing and it was so real and articulated exactly who we were. They said they'd never seen a firm that the values of the ones are right at the top and the senior partners were the values of those guys in the post room, or the guys in the, in the juniors. There was hardly any difference, which meant you were living and breathing it. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Sarah Bailey, senior partner of law firm Trowers & Hanlon. Sarah describes the journey that led them to crystallize a range of things they were already doing into an integrated, responsible business agenda and gives a candid evaluation of how well they are doing on this ambitious agenda, what can get in the way, and what they're doing to take that agenda out to their clients. She also shares what she's doing as part of her personal crusade around social mobility and what turned around her thinking about values. Sarah, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Very glad to have you here today. Maybe you could uh, just kind of ease us into the conversation by telling us a little bit about Trowers and Hamblin and about yourself and sort of where the organization is. Sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, So Trowers and Hamblin's, we're a UK and international law firm. We have offices in London, Birmingham, Manchester and Exeter in the UK, so slightly eclectic. And then we have offices overseas in um, Dubai, Bahrain, Oman, Abu Dhabi, KL, and hopefully opening shortly in Singapore. So slightly sort of strange niche, you might say geographically, but we're also members of Interlaw, which is a network of global lawyers. We don't aspire to be open everywhere in the world, and we're not aspiring to grow hugely internationally. We do believe through the network of Interlaw that really helps us and helps our clients reach out around the world. My background is I started at Trowers in 1990 as an article clerk when the firm was a much smaller firm, as they're in Lincoln's Inn. Beautiful office on the outside, on the inside, slightly more challenging. And, uh, and it, the firm I joined was a very collegiate firm. Looking back on it for the time, an incredibly diverse firm, actually. A lot of women were there. There were women partners there. And at that time, that was quite unusual. And I probably didn't realise that, if I'm honest, until later on. Only then do you realise that it was quite unusual. Just accepted it. Um, I then so grew up through the firm. And my background is a real estate project lawyer. And I've done the whole real estate spectrum, really, gone from starting in affordable housing and moving across to the commercial sector and now sort of doing both in, in that high level. Um, and then um, as life went on, I somehow find myself being managing partner, which I did for eight years and I managed the firm for eight years. And then two and a half years ago, I was asked to be the senior partner of the firm. And that's where I am now. And different law firms sort of structure that managing partner, senior partner, those roles slightly differently. What does that mean where you are? What I've learned through the senior partner network is there's no two senior partners that are like, all our roles are slightly different. Because I think you make the role a bit more your own, playing to your strengths. My role is, I suppose, threefold. It is to chair the partnership, 
and to make sure that the partnership is on track, is happy, is performing and dealing with all those issues. It is to be the ambassador for the firm um, and to get out there, showcase the firm and help the firm, I suppose, move into the different areas it wants to move into. But I suppose the top one for me is I'm also chair of the strategic board and in charge of helping the board develop the strategy of the firm. And we do that on behalf of the partnership and then to drive that strategy forward with our management team. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that maybe takes us into one of the big topics I want to talk about, which is what is your strategy? How did you develop it? How did you come up with it? And then associated with that, we want to talk about purpose and how those two sit together. But, but maybe we can start on strategy. How do you do strategy? It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I think the first thing I was, I suppose, taught actually by a, a independent consultant a long time ago was you've actually got to work out what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be? I mean, law firms are quite clearly what we're there for is provide legal advice. But what is it about you and your firm that you want to say to the outside world is a reason for using you, but also a reason for joining you as an employee, be that a lawyer, be that in the business support, you know, it's the same point. So where we started was, well, we're very proud, as everybody is, of our culture, but we have been told by lateral hires that come in, you know, I only know what I know because I'm homegrown, that we do have a special culture. And what does that mean in reality? And I think what we quickly realized as we started talking about it that what is now called the responsible business agenda which is esg but overlaid by responsible business is actually what we've done at trials for a very long time and that's about putting people first so for us yes absolutely of course we're there to make that big profit we've got to pay our staff we've got to pay ourselves and we need to make a profit but it's a responsible profit it's about making that profit responsibly and acting responsibly both to your employees and your partners but also your clients so we sort of started on that basis and said, OK, if that's what we want to be. We need to embed that at our board level. And then we need to look at what that means in reality to all the different strands of the firm. So I suppose the first 12 months was looking at that and looking at how that spreads across within our values piece, which is fascinating because I wasn't particularly pro doing it. I've changed my mind, but I'll explain why later. Always interested to hear stories like that. Yeah. Um, we looked at our sustainability agenda. We've always been very proud of our diversity and inclusion, but we can do more. And I think now that DE and I, diversity, equity, inclusion is really important. And that includes health in there as well. So we looked inward to start with. That's what we did initially. We said, right, who are we? What do we want our people to know us for? And then how does that translate to the outside world? Then what we said was, OK, that is here. Then what do we want to do? We want to grow the business. Why do we want to grow the business? And I think that is a fundamental question. You know, everyone says we've got to grow, but why? What is it you want to achieve by growth? Growth for growth's sake can actually be dangerous. Work out what it is. And for us, it was very strongly we want to remain independent as a law firm. We want to protect our culture. And therefore, we do need to grow because we've got to grow in order to keep paying the bills, keep the lights on, but also to attract the right people into the business and to retain our good people. So that was why we wanted to grow. And then what we said was, well, OK, what are the areas that we feel we are genuinely poised to grow in and that are not being so aspirational? It's crazy. So we have never said we want to be, I don't know, um, Linklaters or we want to be DLA because we're not. We're different. They're brilliant and they're great firms, but we're smaller. We know where we are and we're happy in our skin. So how can we grow within our skin? And then we did a whole series of workshops with the strategic board around uh, asking those questions to come out with three strands of growth that we are looking at. 
each of those strands is then aligned back to the responsible business to say, does that conflict or actually can we can we keep it within those parameters? So it's, that sounds like a really easy process. In reality, it was organic and you've got to be a bit agile and fluid. But I would say underpinning all of it actually is good governance. You've got to be accountable and make yourself accountable for delivery. Otherwise, you can have any strategy in the world you want, but it won't happen because we're humans. You know, we go off piece all the time. You've got to keep bringing yourself back to centre and go, what is this achieving? That governance that you're talking about sort of takes us a little bit beyond the very narrow question of how you develop your strategy, but I think it's very important. How do you actually enact that keeping ourselves on track and make sure we haven't gone off piece, but we're actually moving forward? How do you do that? I think that's one of the biggest challenges most organizations are facing right now. It is. It's really, really hard. I mean, I suppose the basic layer of governance, which I think people forget about, which is in a PLC, um, you could say it's slightly easier because you've got your the regulation around it, you've got your board, and your board expects quarter reports from the exec team, which are very clear, and they are there to keep them on track. In a law firm and in a partnership, that can be a bit more fluid. So what we've said is, okay, as our strategic board, and in fact, we had a big governance away day only this week to actually say what's working and what's not working. And one of the key things we looked at was, okay, We've got these three growth work streams, which are being led by different people, not all on the board. How do we make sure that they're performing and accountable to us? So we don't just want a quarterly paragraph saying, hey, guys, it's all fine. We're on our way. We actually want to know what's been done. Where does that sit against the timetable we said it was? Where financially does that sit? Project ahead. When do we think it should come good? Why is it not coming good? Or, yeah, yay, it's working. But keeping on top of it and actually having someone there I would say I can't keep all this in my head. So someone else sitting there going, we're expecting that, sorry. We need to make sure this is on the agenda. At the same time, the biggest, I would say, the biggest tension between strategy and operation is you're still running the business on a day-to-day basis. And if there's a downturn like there is in the market now, what needs to give in order to make that business balance? And who makes that decision if it's going to affect the strategy of the firm? So that is our big discussion and our tension. There's no easy answer. I mean, what we have said is if we need to make some savings, and I'm not talking about staff cuts or that, I'm talking about savings and spend, the board needs to understand what the knock-on effect is on its agenda, growth agenda. And the board ultimately needs to make that decision as to whether that goes or actually we need to lose something over here because that's too important. I would say we're at the very beginning of that journey. We're just beginning to get our heads around how that could work. Mm, mm. Well, I'll definitely look forward to hearing further down the road how it's working, because like I say, I do think not just for for law firms, but I I think for almost any organization, the world's so unpredictable and chaotic that you almost always find yourself in exactly the place you're talking about. Um, You mentioned something you learned from a consultant a while ago. Just curious, as you went through this more recent process of developing your strategy, was it 100% internal organic or did you reach outside for certain external support? No, no, we we reached outside for external support for for two reasons. One, we have some great lateral hires that have been in for a long time, um, but there's a lot of homegrown people as well. So we need that rigor, I suppose, external rigor, but also but my legal colleagues will hate me for saying this, but lawyers are terrible. We think we know everything about everything in the world. And it's very difficult to tell lawyers anything, particularly when you're trying to say, this is not all rosy in the garden. We've got these things that we need to deal with. 
actually having someone external saying, look, you're just paying me. I'm not here tomorrow. So take it or leave it. But these are the facts is actually really helpful. And we've used somebody who knows us well. We've known for a while. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's really helped us sort of, I suppose, work our way through all this and work our way through as to what is achievable but pushing ourselves that little bit far to say, look, you know, let's not be complacent. We need to push ourselves a bit further. So, yes, I would recommend anybody to get someone external. And the advice I got was from a chief executive in a quite large company who said to me, never rely just on internal. You need external help to challenge you, to support you, to actually just to help you channel it and to get into the right place. And I think it's the best advice I had. Interesting. Are you happy sharing who that is? Yes. His name is Nigel Salter. He is now a top sustainability ESG consultant. His background is in management consultancy. He knows our quirks and we know him and trust him. And that's the thing. The partners do trust him, to be absolutely honest. He understands partnerships as well, which I think is key. And we have had external consultants before who think you're a PLC and don't really understand the partnership structure is a different structure. And you've got to bring people, really, a lot of people, I've got to say. I also want to go back and just sort of cover the question of purpose. And you've touched on a bit about responsible business, but interested to hear how that crystallized, where in the process of the strategy was at at the beginning, did that all of a sudden sort of emerge in the middle? Was that 10 years ago? It's really interesting. So the reason that we landed on responsible business partly was because I knew about six, eight months before I became senior partner that I was going to become senior partner. And I strongly believe you need a strategy and you need to be able to articulate your strategy to your staff and to your partners because everybody needs to know the, the direction that you're going in. But one of the key things was we were doing all this amazing stuff, but it wasn't cohesive. It wasn't brought together. And when I looked at all the stuff we were doing, it just shouted out, it shouted out ESG. But actually for me, that's an acronym which is really important. What does it really mean? Actually, for me, it meant responsible business. So we have a strategy team. They looked around other firms. Some people had a a, a responsible business report, but if you scratch the surface, what did that really mean? So what we said, and we went to the board with it, was let's not do that. Let's not go out publicly in any of this until we are absolutely confident that we actually are living and breathing this. We're not just saying the words. We actually mean it. And that came together a lot quicker than I expected, if I'm honest, because we were living and breathing it. It's just we had never articulated it. I mean, law firms and purpose is a really difficult challenge because your purpose is effectively to provide the legal work. And everyone comes up with phrases and sayings, but in reality, we're here to help our clients run their business and deliver their business. And we just felt the added bit for us was in a responsible way, that we are here to help you deliver your business in a responsible way. And whether that is a charity or whether that is a PLC or it's a big pension fund, that's what it's about. So it was probably, ironically, the wrong way around. We started it as this is what our agenda is. It's a responsible business agenda. And then as it developed, we realised actually, oh, wow, we're doing all this already. That's fantastic. We just need to bring it together and articulate. And then we said all right, let's not pat ourselves on the back. What more can we do? So that's where we are now, publishing every year our targets, holding ourselves accountable to those targets. We will miss some, I have absolutely no doubt, because as you said, the nature of the world is so erratic that some things you think you can start at the beginning of the year, you can't because of other economic pressures or other pressures. But it's important to us that we articulate where we want to be 
and are honest about where we've got to and why so that we can constantly improve on that. And what might you point to as a couple examples of the sorts of things you're doing or maybe not doing that express that responsible business purpose? I think the biggest example... We've already done incredibly well, but there's so much more we want to do is the DE&I. We've lived and breathed diversity, equality, inclusion probably ever since I've joined the firm, which is 30 odd years ago. So it was an unusual firm in that it had already embraced an agenda that it didn't even know existed, if you see what I mean. When we brought this together, we've got a fantastic partner, Sharon Webster, who now leads on this. And before her, there was a lady called Helen Randall who brought it into the next level and Sharon's taken it and brought it into another level. And we looked at this and we said, right, okay, what are the challenges in the legal profession and where are we meeting them? Female representation, female partners, we're doing well. At the very senior level, we could do better, but we're doing all right. Our black colleagues, not so much. We are something like third best in the country for having black partners, and I've got three, which says a lot. So there's a huge issue in the legal profession about that. LGBTQ+, we are really high up on that. We've got a fantastic network on that and we've got amazing colleagues all the way from the top of the firm right through. Disability, not so much. So we really looked at this and said, okay, where are the weak spots? And our weak spots are the profession's weak spots, but we want to be stellar. So we've set out to actually pick some of the harder areas to change rather than rest in our laurels and go, aren't we great at female representation, for example? And equally challenge ourselves on that as well. So within the firm, one of our partners, Rebecca Wardley, is leading on talking on a Chatham House rule basis to women about what they feel prevents them from taking the next step and how does that work. So we're not complacent about it. But I would say that was a, an example of how well we've been doing and how good that is. An example of where we could do better, I would say, is our sustainability strategy. So we've got external consultants in to help us, Akil, they helped us develop our first stage. So we have committed to 50% reductions on a scientific basis by 2030. But already the economic pressures and the fact that we're in a building that's an older building, it isn't our building, it's a building with a landlord, is showing us how hard that is to achieve. So we are, we're making big inroads into it, but we're not where we want to be yet. So that is a big work in progress. And then another area that I think um, we have challenged ourselves on is our social impact. So we do masses of community work all throughout all our offices. The area that we would like to do more in is a larger pro bono and not because that looks good, but actually because we feel that we've got some skill sets that other law firms, the bigger law firms may not have, particularly in the housing world, that we could actually bring to the fore. But to do that, we need the infrastructure to deliver it. So that is work in progress. We will get there, but that needs recruitment and it needs infrastructure so when you say the infrastructure for that what does that look like to do that properly you need um, a dedicated probably two dedicated people to running that program additional recruitment in not lawyers people to actually just run it could be lawyers but not normally lawyers to run the program and networks to um, have our lawyers sort of part of that network to take it off the day job so that in actual fact, you've got someone basically doing it professionally. Um, at the moment, we've got a fantastic partner, Nicola Ivanovich, who does and coordinates all of it. And she is punching so far above her weight in what we do. But if we want to go to the next level, we now need to professionalise that and bring other people in. Yeah, interesting. Which your big firms do. Your big firms have that. Sure. As I'm hearing what you're describing, 
it sounds like most of what you've been focused on and doing a great job on is kind of, so how do we run our firm? That was the focus for 18 months, yeah. We've refocused now on the external market. And the external market being the pro bono or? No, no. We know internally where we are, what we want. We've done the values exercise, understand what our people want. So to deliver all of this, we need to grow. We need to get more profitable, responsibly. How do we do that? So the workshops that we did with Nigel recently have been focused very much on what are our client growth areas. How do we take that forward as a firm? Um, I could see a different dimension that you might focus on. It might be an insane dimension. It might be like nobody really wants us to go there and we don't want to go there either. But just to explore it for a minute, I don't have the practicalities to describe it except fairly conceptually, but working with your clients in some different way, probably at times overstepping the line that they might draw about what do we want from our lawyers to nudge, encourage, open up new possibilities, whatever, to help them be more responsible in what they're doing. That could sound like so far out of your swim lane. <laughs> this isn't helpful. I'm just curious, how, where does that debate show up? Does it show up? It's not insane at all. It is exactly one of the areas we've been looking at is how can we use our experiences to help our clients? So an example of that is, I can't name them, but we were invited into a large institutional investor to do a workshop on how they could develop their social impact strategy. There is no law involved in that at all. Nothing legal. There's bits of legal that fall out of it, but the actual how you develop your strategy is not. And when we started looking at this, a lot of people went, whoa, 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 we can't do that. How do we do that? Oh my God, that's not law. Actually, it's business. It's just that business head. I spoke at an event last night for the in-house legal world in Birmingham, the West Midlands. And that was about, as in-house lawyers and GCs, how can you help your boards develop their responsible business strategy. So I don't think it's mad at all. I think it's an area that we have got as a focus to develop and we're developing it alongside, you might say, your more traditional focuses of the legal strands that are the more immediate ones that you can actually focus on. And there's a real need. The issue, I think, is also that often lawyers are perceived as being the people that you only bring in if there's a problem and also and how much is it going to cost me. And actually what we tried to say is that we can work with you in partnership and Yes, of course, we would like to work out of this because that's what our business is. But we're prepared to work in partnership with you to get you to a point where then it starts flowing. And I think I would like us to stand out in that because I think that is what we do with our clients. But there's a scepticism in the the real world out there is when it's a lawyer. Oh, is that really what you want to do? Oh, it's an interesting one. There are barriers to it, but we've got to work to get over those barriers. What for me, the really exciting possibility in there is to find a way to make that financially sustainable. You know, there's a bit of it you can do if it's kind of a marketing effort. It's a loss leader. It's a way to develop or strengthen a relationship. If you can say, no, no, hang on. It kind of comes back around. It reinforces itself. It refreshes the financial side of it at some point. I think that's really interesting, really exciting. Yeah, and I think that's where where we need to get to. So we need to get to is how can we make this work for both sides? So the client is getting the help and developing the strategy, but we actually do get something out of this. So it's not just a nice extra, it's actually part of the DNA. Mm. One of the things I'm particularly interested in right now, and probably a discussion broader in scope than we'll have time for, is if you look at a lot of the big issues we face, I mean, you take diversity and inclusion as one of them. 
they're these deeply intertwined reasons why it's a problem. There's no one silver bullet. And I'm really intrigued with how do you begin to bring multiple groups together, not to articulate some policy statement, but to practically think about what can we do together on this. And it feels like some of what you're doing there is getting closer to that. So one of the areas I'm personally passionate about is social mobility, particularly in the legal world, because you know, no matter what anybody says, and I will defy all of them, that the legal world is not open to lots of people of different backgrounds. Um, I'm a member of the Care Leavers Covenant Business Council, and that's about helping young people coming out of the care system and have the opportunities that my kids had. Um, you know, these young people have not had those role models. They've not had that stability in their life. Some of them have never ever been in an office in their lives, but they're bright and they're hungry and they're driven. I was speaking to someone the other day who was saying, oh, it's, yes, absolutely. And, and we need, really need to encourage people to come through the door. And it's no different really than a, a trainee that walks through the door. That's scary. And I went, it's completely different. It's so different. That trainee has had a very different life, middle-class background probably. You know, it's so different than moving from foster home to foster home to foster home if you're lucky. And then at 16, sort of being spat out of the system and now you're in this flat and you have no idea what to do with life. So one of my, I suppose, crusades that I would like to do over the next couple of years is try and get the legal world and some of the bigger noises in the legal world to come together about how can we actually do this and do it properly, not do it because it looks good. Let's not just talk about this and put lovely statements out. Yes, exactly. Not just other firms in the legal world, but other stakeholders in this. People from the care system, from the education system, from the police, mental health. How entwined and tangled and difficult is this thing? Because until we understand how many tentacles the octopus has, we'll never kind of get our hands around it. That's really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah, and the Care Leavers Covenant, that's one of the things they're trying to do. Matthew releases it from Spectra. He's brought all these different businesses together to say, look, we've got some fantastic people speaking to us who are care leavers about how it affects it. Why is it different? What do they need? And your natural assumptions of what they need and what they need are completely different. And I think that's the biggest bit I've learned is don't be arrogant. What do I know? I need to listen and understand. I'm sitting in a very privileged world. Even something as small as we've set up a charity to help fund care leavers who come out so they don't have to study and work at the same time. So one of the people that we helped, she's got a first class degree, but she, to get her A-levels, had to work every day and study in order to get through all this. And that is just horrendous. You know, it, it gives you no space just to survive, just to put food on the table. And we thought we had a great idea. Let's call it the bank of mum and dad. And then Matthew floated this with some of the guys and they went, please don't call it that because that is a trigger for what we don't have. And it's so obvious. It's so obvious when you said it. But yeah, we were all sitting there really smug thinking, that's a great title. And it was like, that was really bad, really wrong. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm passionate about it. I think we can do so much more as businesses, but we need to get it right before you go public and go, aren't we shiny? Definitely. I completely agree. Be doing the thing before you start talking about it rather than talking about what you're going to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, interested to hear as you've been working your way through this process, what was the most either surprising or difficult bit of it? Um, when I was talking about what was my mission as senior partner at Trowers, we were talking about the responsible business and 
my director of HR and my director of strategy said, well, we need to do values. What are the values? You know, and I went, nope, no, no, I'm not doing an exercise that means I've got five words on the wall and everyone's got it on their mouse pad and you come in and work and it hits you in the face. We all pat ourselves on the back and we all think it's great and then we move on in life. I said, it's just a waste of money and a waste of time. And I went off on one. I do get really cross when you go and you think, yeah, but are you really following those values or are you just saying them? So we did do it differently and we spoke to a group of young people in the firm and they said, well, yeah, to be honest with you, what we really need to know is are our values the same as your values at the top of the firm? Because that really is how it works. So we actually started by talking to our very senior partners and doing a whole process of saying, right, what do you think trials values are? We ran workshops and we went through that and then we went out to a wider partnership and then we thought, whoa, what do we do with all of this? So we then got help. Again, external support, uh, who are brilliant. Brands with values, they're called, very different. And they've got an amazing tool that initially I was very like, cynical, another AI thing, but actually it is incredible. And they said, right, okay, you've got all this information from your partners, put that over there. We're now going to go out to the business as a whole. And they do it in a way that it's all about words and you use words and it comes up with themes. And I think... It was the hardest thing on one level because I was so cynical about the whole process. It was the most amazing thing because actually what came out of it was astonishing and it was so real and articulated exactly who we were. They said they'd never seen a firm that the values of the ones are right at the top and the senior partners were the values of those guys in the post room, the values in the, in the juniors. There was hardly any difference, which meant you were living and breathing it. So I guess the success for me of that was it articulated actually we were doing it. And we haven't put words on walls and we haven't put mouse mats. What we've done is um, embedded it in our appraisal systems. We're embedding it through videos so that people are talking about what it means for them to be at Trowers. I suppose the biggest one that I was really proud of was it says that we're human. That was one of our values is that we're human. If someone's having a moment, we all rally round. There's not this sort of, I don't know, stiffness within us, which I thought was amazing. So it was the hardest thing I've done, but it was actually an incredibly successful thing we did. I think the growth strategy external one that we've just been through, again, was really challenging because you've got a lot of different voices, lots of different egos in the room. And again, the way that we did that was we broke into workshops. Nigel gave us these questions. We all had to articulate. There was a bit of cynicism around the whole process because we're lawyers. You know, how does this all work? Obviously, it's a waste of time. So I was going off on one again. The thing I've worried about the most, you know, am I doing this in the right way? Is this going to get the result we need? What was amazing was every group came back completely independently with the same things from different angles. But it showed, again, that we've got a consistency through the firm about what it was we're trying to achieve and how we thought we could achieve it, which actually is a fantastic platform. It's an amazing platform. So I think we've got a genuinely amazing platform to develop from, but it's taken three years to get to that point of going, we've got this platform, now we can really do something with it. I will be very interested to hear how all that develops over the next few years. And if you're up for it, love to have you back. Yeah, no, absolutely. It'll be a roller coaster ride, I've no doubt. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, if you had any advice to give to a, you know, a, a leader of a, a different organization who themselves were wrestling with purpose and strategy, what advice would you give? I think my biggest advice is go out and hear different voices. 
I did go out to a lot of people who weren't lawyers and asked questions and listened. Um, and I know it sounds really trite and everyone says it, but actually I don't think many people do listen. And listening for me and understanding, and then when I got, I hit a problem, actually being willing to go and talk to someone I trusted and going, download it, for them to turn around to me and go, well, you know what you're going to do, don't you? Helping sort of weed that through because leadership's a lonely job. It can be very lonely. Um, and you do need to listen and you need challenge. Go out, listen to other people, but have someone by you that you trust that will challenge you because you will need to be challenged. And accept you're going to get it wrong at times. That's the biggest thing for us because you're taught you can't fail. If you fail, you're going to get sued. I've had to try and teach my board that we're allowed to fail as long as we know why we failed and therefore we can do something about it. So set yourself a goal of how many more black colleagues we want in the firm. And if we don't hit that goal, don't get stressed. What it is about is why haven't we hit it and how do we therefore make it better? But it's a very difficult thing for any business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? I think we've covered masses, if I'm honest with you. Um, I suppose what is good leadership and what isn't good leadership in a time like this? Because I think it's really interesting, certainly from the legal world, the first year of my leadership was for every law firm that I know, they're probably the best year. And I kept saying to people, well, look, guys, we're just following market. Don't get overexcited. This is where the market is. And I think the hardest thing for any leader is actually managing the expectation, but then to get people not to go into the depths of despair and start navel gazing, but to actually start thinking, no, this is the norm. Let's look out and how do we change it? And how do we take control of our destiny and not just follow the market? And I think that's the area that most leaders struggle with. But I think a good leader is somebody who acknowledges it, accepts it, and then actually goes, all right, we are where we are. These are the issues. These are things we've got right. These are things we've got wrong. How do we harness the firm or the organisation and start delivering it? And you can't do that unless you're really brutally honest with yourself about where you are. So I think there's an honesty element that isn't always there. Absolutely. Any questions you might have for me? I am fascinated. You've spoken to so many different people in different walks of life. Are there common themes that come out of it? Or is it very different in different walks of life? I think the common themes are actually some of the ones you've touched on here. That willingness to accept that you're not going to get it all right, but nevertheless to commit to moving ahead anyway. And absolutely the challenge in today's world yeah. of being able to set an ambitious agenda that's something other than, well, we'll just float along with the tide. And to actually keep resources and focus and attention on it in the midst of the chaos. Yeah, I think that's the hardest bit is the chaos. Because it is chaotic around you. It's like you've got all this noise around and you've still somehow got to steer the ship through the storm in a way. You think you think it's all gone calm and then you know, you suddenly realize you're in the eye of the storm and it's going to hit you the other side again. It is fascinating. If you really hate the job, you can't do it. It's got real difficult moments, but... It is exciting. It's exciting to be able to look and say, let's see how we can make this business better. Mm. One of the things I, I think I'd, I'd definitely um, kind of applaud you for is being willing to test the outer edge of that boundary about what does it mean to be a responsible business that might draw us a bit beyond what a law firm's been. What might that look like? Where might that mm. take us? 
I think a lot of businesses are wrestling with that challenge right now. Is we've got to make money, we've you know, we've got to do all that stuff. And we have a certain set of skills and assets, but what might be beyond that? And also, I think people think being a responsible business means you can't make money. That's rubbish. It's not about that. It's about how you do it. And it's how you treat your people and how you, you look after your staff. And it doesn't mean that everyone's coasting. Well, well, I might go even further. I might argue that actually, if you want to be an even more responsible business, within the constraints of being responsible, make more money. Because you'll be using less resources from the world to deliver a more valuable output. And you'll demonstrate to other people, there's a way to do this. There's a way to be responsible and make good money. So it's not a choice between being responsible and making money. It's a choice between making money and being responsible or making money and not being responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do passionately believe you can make money and be responsible. It's not a black and white choice. I think that's just a fantastic note to end on. Thank you, Sarah. It's been brilliant having you. As I've said a couple of times, I'd love to have you back. Love to. I'll look forward to that. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been lovely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us and leave us a five-star review. It helps others find the podcast. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Mm -hmm.